You've probably heard it all before, but this time, let Dr. Lanker connect the dots in a way that makes the Christian faith come alive. As we learned in 1 John, loving well is at the center of the Christian faith. But as many of us know, loving well isn't easy. It requires a lot of balance and able to do that. And so that's where we turn in the books of 2nd and 3rd John and the book of Jude. They're the shortest in all of the New Testament outside of Philemon, but they are power-packed with great insight into how to really love like Jesus loves. And that's where we'll turn to connect the dots today. The first letter that we find is in 2nd John, and I'll highlight that probably a little bit more just so we understand the context. John writes and calls himself the elder to the lady chosen by God. As we in the church have probably heard many times, we refer to the church as the bride of Christ. And so most likely what John's doing here is he's using kind of common Christian language to be able to refer to the church. That's who he's writing to. He wants them to be reminded of God's grace, God's mercy, God's peace, all from the Father and from Jesus Christ that he says in verse 3. But he also wants them to be with God in truth and love. If you've spent any time around the church, you've heard both those terms used in coordination. We need to be full of love, but we also need to be full of truth. And finding that balance is difficult. Sometimes we need to just speak the hard truths, and other times we need to just be gracefully patient with people in love. John wants to walk this church through how they would actually do that. And so in verse 4, he says, It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another, and this is love that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. We oftentimes put love in grace together. And when we do that, we miss the understanding of what love and grace is. If I know how to live life perfectly, or I know how to do anything perfectly, if I really love you, I'm not just going to let you learn it on your own and give you no instruction. I'm going to tell you what to do. That's because I love you. And John wants to make that point clear to his listeners, is that God is telling us what to do, not because he's a control freak, not because he just wants to be the one who has all the answers, but because he's the one who created the whole system. And because he loves us as his children, he wants to guide and instruct us. Unfortunately, not everybody who says they're part of the church believes that. And that was a problem in the early church, just like it is today. And we see John having to deal with this in verse 7 when he says, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ, Jesus as the king, as coming in the flesh, have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. That word antichrist shows up first here in 2 John, and it means literally against Christ or against the king. This would be somebody who would be in rebellion to the king. 
And anybody who is in rebellion is saying that whatever the king said, we don't have to do it. The king's an idiot. We can live our own lives the way that we want to live them. And this has been part of what the church has had to deal with for centuries. People who say, yes, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I love Jesus in the church, but then they provide teaching and instruction that's in complete antithesis to what God has clearly stated throughout his word. Watch out that you do not lose what we've worked for. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. In the early church, they didn't have formalized churches as much as what we do. They had more kind of traveling teachers. And one of the first writings that we have actually is from what's called the Didache. It was a collection of sayings that were given by what were the 12 apostles on how to live this Christian life. And one of the largest sections in the whole work is the section on how to handle traveling teachers. Like all Christians, they've been instructed to be hospitable. But in the Didache, as well as in 2 John, it says, If people do not teach according to what we've heard through the teachings of Christ and his apostles, you do not have to continue to show them hospitality. You can throw them out on the streets because they are talking, providing instruction that is completely against what Jesus has called us to. To do that means we have to know God's word. And unfortunately, for many in the church, we really don't know what God has said. We know what our pastor has said, we know what our teacher has said, but we don't know for our own selves what God's words say. And this is the first instruction that John gives to us, is that if we're really going to live in love, we're going to have to also live in truth. That's how we find the balance. And the truth is always found in God's eternal word. If we want to really love well, we're going to have to know God's word much more deeply for ourselves, to know what his word really does say and what it doesn't, so that we'll know when to be gracious to people and when we'll know when to throw them out on the street and say, you're completely against anything that Jesus has ever said. Knowing that balance is going to be difficult, and that's where John turns in his next book, the third book of John. If all we had were second John, we would think that anybody who disagrees with what we think God's word says that we should throw them on the street, kick them to the curb. That's why John writes his third letter. Apparently what's happened is that the church that uh, John has been trying to guide has taken his instruction a little too well. So well, in fact, that now they're taking anybody who doesn't agree with their exact teaching and not even giving them any sort of audience or any sort of hospitality. And that goes against this love and truth that we have to find a balance in. So John writes his letter to the church and he says, hey, you know what? In verse 9, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he's doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us, not satisfied that he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. 
one of the things that needs to characterize the love and the truth of God's people is that when somebody really goes over the line, we can set a boundary and say, no, unless you really base it off the teachings of Scripture, you're not representing Christ and his church well. You need to see the door. On the other side, we need to be open to debate and we need to be open to discussion. The church for centuries has debated and disagreed vehemently at points between predestination and free will. We've had different opinions on spiritual gifts or the role of the Old Testament law or the role of the women in church. We have argued about this and will continue to argue about this. When we set our churches as places that are so bound to the truth that we think is exactly the way that it needs to be, that we cannot show any grace or love to people who also go to Scripture and are able to be able to show, hey, this is, this is equally valid, and we've got to find some way to be able to balance this and understand this more deeply. If our churches do not have those places for discussion and dissent, then John's saying we're really not going to be able to know God's love the way that we need to and want to know it. That's what his point of 3 John is, and we need to understand it just a little bit more deeply. We also need to understand what Jude has to say, and that is where we will turn next. The final letter of Jude that we'll discuss in today's topic of Connecting the Dots is written by a man named Jude. As scholars, we look back at Mark chapter 6, verse 3, and find him to be listed as one of Jesus' brothers. Instead of calling himself the brother of Jesus, he calls himself just like James, the servant or the slave of Jesus Christ, and a brother to James. Just like James, he does not want to take the insider track and say, hey, I'm Jesus' brother, you got to listen to me. He puts himself in a position of humility, yet with that humility, he has some very strong words to share. These strong words continue in the theme of balancing love and truth inside the church so that we can really have the deepest relationship with God. He writes, and he says this in verse 4, For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They're ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ as our only sovereign and Lord. Essentially, what Jude is really concerned about is that some people are saying, you can do whatever you want to do, and if it's okay with you, if it feels right to you, even if it isn't, we have a forgiving God, so it will all be all right. Jude knows that any sort of teaching that allows for God's forgiveness to just make up the lack of our potential and purposeful rebellion against him as the only sovereign, the only one who has control of our lives, we've even lost control of it, is headed down the wrong path. He wants to use in these few little snippets that you're going to read in the book of Jude to say this, hey, When we purposefully rebel against authority, when we have sex outside of marriage, when we use people to make a profit, when we do whatever feels right, these are all headed on the road of immorality. 
instead of using biblical teaching to go ahead and make his point, he knows that the people who are doing and saying and living this type of life have already determined that they're right and that the church or the scriptures are wrong. So instead of using scripture in order to make his point, he goes to their teaching. This is why we find so much teaching from the book of First Enoch. It's a pseudepigraphical writing. It does not find itself in the collected works that are considered scripture, but it was apparently used by these false teachers. And this is a great insight for us in how to deal with heresy and with false teaching that tries to make its way in the church. Instead of saying, well, the Bible says that's wrong, if that person doesn't agree with what the Bible says, or if they even say they agree with it, but they're showing by their life they really don't want God to be in control, that's not a leg to stand on. What we're going to have to do is we're going to have to enter their world, understand their works, and be able to use their support to be able to show that their argument doesn't hold weight. What we also need to do, though, is that as we do that, we need to show grace. I love this, and and it ends in verse 22. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy, mixed with fear hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. As easy as it is to call somebody a heretic, as easy as it is to say you're wrong, what Jude says is he says, you know what? People are going to keep coming up with new ideas that just give a a way to affirm their fleshly desires. Whenever we head down that road, that's a dangerous road, and we really need to help provide people with the insight that what they're doing and where they're headed is not where God wants us to be. If they're far from the truth and they really think that they have it all figured out, don't use scripture. They don't agree with it. It really isn't the support and the basis for their life, so you're not going to get anywhere. Understand where they're coming from and use that to be able to help make the point and to be able to destroy their argument in a sense. At the same time, be gracious and realize that this is a process that people are going to have to walk through. In all of this, in 2 John, 3 John, and Jude, we find great instruction to help us balance love with truth in order to really know the fullness of God's great love for us and through us. I hope that as you read through these, it helps you to understand how God and his church should love more completely and selflessly in an everyday world. 